Here's to your success in property, finance and money management. You're listening to The Long Property Show with your hosts, Daniel Gold and Patrick Lynch. Welcome back to another episode of The Long Property Show. I'm Dan Gold. And I'm Patrick Lynch. And today we thought we'd uh, provide some tips for first home buyers. Yeah, I think uh, Rachel and yourself, Dan, did a great article last week on the first home loan deposit scheme and we obviously are seeing a few more people hit the market, so we thought it's good to give some information. There's no doubt that first home buyers have been a very active segment um, in the home loan uh, financing space over the last 12 months. According to the ABS, um, first home buyers have made up about 30% of the national market for home loans um, in recent times, and, and that's above the decade average of about 25%. So, um, yeah, no surprises there, I suppose, with the market having softened slightly, that uh, it's just been a little bit easier. Um, than in previous years for, for home buyers or first home buyers to get into the market. And that's been fueled by uh, various government incentives and schemes, which, which we'll touch on as well. Yeah, as well as foreign capacities increasing. Yep, yep. So uh, from a regulatory standpoint, APRA has, has made it easier there too. It'll be interesting to see, though, how much that trend continues into 2020, because um, ultimately a lot of the, the price declines have now been uh, made back up in, in Melbourne and Sydney. So, you know, the, 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 that, that kind of bargain hunting is, is, is almost a thing of the past. Um, and in addition to that, I, I think uh, the market is, is now seeing some investors move back in, which is creating more intense competition. And, 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 and obviously that makes it harder for first home buyers. Yeah. And I suppose just one of the truisms of property, Dan, which a lot of people say it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. So if now's the right time for you to buy, why would you hold off? Absolutely. So we thought we'd do this as a two-part series. That The first part is going to be more with the finance uh, bent. And then maybe uh, next podcast episode, Patty, we'll, we'll discuss some more of the property specifics. And we might even bring in one of the property experts to, to aid that conversation. Um, so I guess with today being part one, uh, from a finance perspective, if you're a first home buyer, um, what's going through your mind and, and where, where do you start? Most people are probably going to start by just looking in areas where they want to buy, but I wonder, Dan, is that the best thing to do? Well, I, th- I think from a from a finance standpoint, you really need to get your head around the, the numbers and, and, and your, your limits. And I guess the two big things are obviously going to be, A, what's your borrowing capacity? And B, um, what kind of savings do you have access to that, that is going to um, go towards your deposit? So um, if we just want to break them down, I suppose uh, the borrowing capacity, we find a lot of people just kind of going online and, and looking at borrowing capacity calculators that are readily and, and freely available on the internet. Um, that They are actually fraught with danger because if you're inputting the wrong uh, things into these calculators, the results are going to be meaningless. Um, and secondly, a lot of those calculators don't go into the same level of detail as the actual bank calculators do um, that are involved in, in actually applying for finance. So I think the big one there is is actually just go and speak to your banker or mortgage broker to properly understand what your borrowing capacity is. Yeah, definitely speak to the broker. The calculators are very simplistic. They'll just ask for a basic input. They won't take into account lender policy. They won't generally won't take into account any complexities with your income or any external debt that you have. 
yeah and and um uh, the big one that we also find is a lot of people come to us and say oh i didn't realize that we had to put in our income um exclusive of superannuation or i didn't realize that i had to like you said lender policies there like average out my last two years of bonus income or include my hex debt or, or things like that. So you can you can clearly see that the results with incorrect inputs won't, won't be particularly helpful. Um, and then, uh, yeah, with respect to the deposit, um, you know, a lot of people think that uh, 20% is the magic number. Um, maybe yes, maybe not. There are, there are um, other ways to, to think about that too. So, what would you um, rec- how would you recommend clients think about uh, the, the the deposit requirement? Well, if we include the likes of stamp duty and government fees, it's more like twenty five percent can be the magic number because you're not only buying at a purchase price of X, you're going to have to pay those additional costs on top. Uh, but in terms, you're right, Dan. Needing that twenty twenty five percent upfront is not actually accurate because there are ways to have a smaller deposit but still be able to buy the home that you want. Yeah. And I think that the key thing for me here is that we're, it's not black and white. There's no one size fits all kind of um, approach here. And already where we're at now suggests that um, in the the initial consultations that you're having with your bank or your mortgage broker, you really want to start running through a few different scenarios, don't you? Maybe there's a scenario around um, what an 80% loan to buy a home looks like. Or maybe there's a, a 90% scenario, like a 90% lend, which also involves lender's mortgage insurance and how that plays out. Um, but even that, Patty, is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, there are certain lenders that will allow you to go to 85% without lender's mortgage insurance. There are others who cap at 80% and then say, yes, you've got to pay this additional cost, which I suppose if people don't know that lender's mortgage insurance is insuring the bank for if there is a downturn in property and they need to sell the asset. So, yeah, there's a few different options to them, I suppose. Let's talk about LMI. Yep. Yeah, so we'll go maybe through LMI and and then start talking about other ways that that you can handle the deposit side um, as it relates to gifts and security guarantees and and even other parental guarantees. Um, And we might just finish off by touching on rent vesting as well as as a separate strategy. So, um, yeah, in, in terms of lender's mortgage insurance, I think that's a fair definition that you've just provided. Um, and the idea here is that if you don't have the 20% deposit, then you can look at paying this additional premium, uh, which ultimately the banks are going to charge, enabling you to um, put forward a smaller deposit to buy the home. Now, if you're buying uh, a property for less than um, 600000 in Melbourne or 700000 in Sydney, there is a new scheme um, which Rachel and I wrote about last week, whereby the government is looking to pay that lender's mortgage insurance premium for you. However, there are a lot of um, you know T's and C's and, and and fine print that's associated with that as it relates to to different um, you know income caps and and um, various other things and eligibility requirements. So please just reference that article and you'll find out all the detail. If you're not eligible for that scheme or you're, um, for example, buying at higher price points in those major two capital cities, then uh, lender's mortgage insurance is likely to be involved. There are some banks that are offering discounts at the moment for lender's mortgage insurance, so definitely speak to your your brokers or banks about those. 
Um, but yeah, otherwise, typically this lender's mortgage insurance premium can be capitalized onto the loan. And when we uh, say capitalized onto the loan, we mean that, that the premium is added onto the loan. So it's not necessarily a, an additional upfront cash payment that you have to make. That kind of defeats the purpose if you don't have the, the big enough deposit to begin with. But um, ultimately, it means that you will be left with a larger loan. So um, obviously, you need to make sure that you've got the income or the borrowing capacity to support the higher loan amount. And then, you know, you're in mortgage insurance territory. And what we'd also say there, with the larger loan and the higher loan to value ratio, the interest rates also tend to be a bit higher than your standard 80% loan. Yeah, yeah. So don't go into the bank or, or broker and say, hey, but I, I saw, you know, that some building societies offering 2.83% on, on the home loan. If you're in uh, LMI territory, you're, you're not going to be paying um, a rate that is that cheap. Well, at the moment, we've seen Adelaide Bank at 309 in LMI territory, which is an extremely sharp rate, and that comes with an offset account as well. So if you want to afford LMI, there are a couple of alternatives. So one would be, for example, a gift. Uh, so this is where generally it's parents then mm -hmm. uh, provide funds to their son, daughter, and their partners to buy a property. Now, the one thing about gifts is for the bank, they must be non-repayable. Otherwise, it's basically treated as another loan and it can affect your borrowing capacity. But again, if it's a gift from your parents, I'm sure generally there's no obligation for that to be repaid until the property increases in value and maybe that's when you reimburse. Potentially. Yep, yep. Um, and I suppose if it is repayable, it's not technically a gift. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's uh, that's something to, to um, discuss further with parents and or with your, your, your bank or broker. Um, and obviously that that is available to some people and it's not available for others so um if you if if you don't have any access to to gift money um there are occasions where parents will still want to try and help and they may not be able to help with a cash gift but they may be able to help by um literally just having equity available in their home or another say investment property that they own and that can also help the children overcome that deposit issue. Yep. So um, let's just provide a couple of examples, Patty, as to how that might play out. Um, parents have a, a, a home that's worth a million dollars and there's a, a low debt or even no debt against that property. How could that benefit the children? Yeah, so with the equity that's in the property, the bank may say, okay, we'll lend 80% directly to you to buy the property that you're purchasing. And for the remainder, we'll love to take a charge over your parents' property to extract that equity. So that's where you'd get your 80% to purchase and then your remaining 20 or 25% to pay the balance and purchase price plus costs. Mm -hmm. It's effectively what they call the um, the bank of mum and dad, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously pros and cons. Some of the pros here, um, well, the big one is that you can just avoid lender's mortgage insurance. So um, those fees can, you know, be 5 10 20, we've seen LMI fees up to $30,000. So that could be a, a big saving as a result of um, securing part of your loan against your parents' property, okay? Um, obviously, the downside um, is, is that your parents are now party to the loan. Uh, they're going to need to be um, ID'd um, and profiled by your banker or broker. They're gonna have to sign a lot of loan documentation. And at the end of the day, there are risks involved for the parents. 
if the kids don't uh, make good on their repayments, ultimately their security property is at risk. Correct. So the bank will ideally not want to, but they will have that option if the loan is not being paid to look to enforce security. And the other thing, Dan, to mention then is obviously, we've said it before, you're borrowing a higher amount in total. You're still responsible for your own debt as well as for the debt that's now attached to your parents' property. You need to make sure that you have the income and the cash flow to service that larger loan. Yep, 100%. And a lot of people come to us saying, hey, we, we can borrow against the parents' property but don't have the, the, the borrowing capacity to do it and therefore that, that strategy um, is, is undermined. And I suppose then connected with that, I mean, that's maybe the security guarantee area, but what about income guarantees? We see that very occasionally. Yeah, so a lot less common, and there are um, a lot less banks that offer this, but there are um, certain banks that will provide, I suppose, what are called income guarantees, and that means um, that, really the the challenge that the kids face is not so much on the deposit side it's more so on the income or serviceability side so in order to assist the kids um, get a higher loan albeit still generally below 80 percent of the purchase price um, the the the, the uh, parents can be party to the loan and, and ultimately provide income support to do it. Um, so in addition to there being less banks, that, that there's also very strict criteria that the parents need to meet. And, and ultimately, it's it's that the parents need to be classed in a higher net worth and, and high income category themselves to, to step in in that manner. So yeah, less common, but but it's definitely something that we can talk about if it, if it works. Um, we, we've, we, we've spoken briefly about some of the additional costs associated um, with buying any property that can vary state to state and it can also vary uh, depending on the purchase price there are various um, stamp duty concessions that are available for first home buyers there's even still the first home buyer grants which can be available if you're buying a new property that hasn't been lived in or if you're building uh, a new property that by definition hasn't been lived in either from scratch so uh, they can they can help in that regard and then one that's not spoken about a lot and, and a lot of people don't enjoy hearing it or, or talking about it, but it's the simple proposition of considering a, a lower purchase price. Yeah, so a lower price, lower uh, costs in terms of government fees done duty, uh, lower loan. So in terms of the interest and the repayments, uh, they're obviously smaller as well. Yes, people want to buy the best property, but they've also got to be aware of we said earlier, maybe getting into the market is as important as finding the ideal property straight up because most of us don't, don't end up living in the first property we ever buy. And, and that's a good segue into rent vesting, which maybe we'll just finish on. So, so rent vesting is simply the idea of renting initially where you want to live. Um, and particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, the rental yields are quite low. So people often find that they can rent pretty good properties for um, affordable prices but to avoid being out of the property market they can instead buy an investment property and perhaps that investment property is in um, a, a more affordable price point that's commensurate with their current budget and or b maybe it's in a, a higher growth area where they can achieve better capital growth and, and it's that growth that can 
eventually help them to either A, buy a first home that's more meaningful or helpful for them, uh, or B, just to buy their home, but with a lower non-tax deductible home loan debt, which can be um, highly advantageous. Yep, it's, it's definitely a strategy there, and we're happy to help guide people along those and put them in touch with property experts who can provide more information. Yeah, it was, it was a very popular strategy back in 2016, 2017, where the Melbourne and Sydney property markets were, were hot, and a lot of first-home buyers uh, were unable to access the, those markets at the time for, for those types of reasons. And all of a sudden, you had these interstate markets that, that looked a lot more affordable and um, lower risk. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely been a, a good strategy for many people that employed it. I think the other thing which which I like about it is, say that investment strategy is a, a three to five year proposition. Um, your personal circumstances as a first home buyer often change so dramatically in those three to five years. So not only can you hopefully make money through your investment over that period of time, but also maybe your income has changed. Maybe your partner's income has changed. Um, maybe your savings them, themselves can, can increase substantially over that period of time. And then when you do hit your local property market at some point in the future, um, you're just far better positioned to do what, what ultimately you're going to be uh, satisfied with. So we'll work for, for some, not for others, but, but definitely one worth um, considering too. And we'll talk a lot more in the next episode about property strategies for first-time buyers and just finally then going back to those costs so again it's not just the loan and deposits and all the other stuff remember when you buy a home you're going to have insurance costs you're going to have a conveyance or solicitor you're going to have utilities maybe that you're not paying at the moment rates or body corporate fees so again it's not just about all oh, the purchase price is x you've got to make sure that you can afford the whole journey of the property ownership and just to finish off i have to say one thing we lost a client last week who was a first home buyer. Can we just extrapolate on that for, for two seconds? Yeah, go ahead. I'm devastated. But um, this person has come to us and said, oh, we heard that um, you only deal with large, um, high net worth clients, and therefore I don't think you'll be an appropriate broker um, to help me as a first home buyer. I was devastated. That couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, we're here to help people. We're here to help people. And uh, we have heaps of first-home buyer clients. And hopefully this podcast discussion shows that, you know, we're, we're across all the, the relevant detail there. Sure, we, we, we naturally attract, like, larger and more complex type things, but we're here to help. Um, uh, we're just looking for great people to work with. And, um, you know, whether you're a first-home buyer getting a small loan or a large, complex kind of scenario with, with, with big funding requirements, um, feel free to give us a call and we'd love to help as best we can. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Long Property Show. If you have any questions for Dan or Patty, you can email hi at longproperty.com.au and they'll respond within 24 hours. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and also leave us a review. This way we can continue bringing you the best weekly content possible. See you again next week. Bye for now.